Awesome. Hey, welcome to church. Glad to have you uh, this morning uh, in the house of God. I want to say a special thank you to our prayer teams who have been here really all week at 6 a.m. We had about a thousand folks joining us for prayer uh, right here in the sanctuary, getting ready for this weekend, getting ready for what all God is going to do. They've been having youth conference in here the last couple days. I was in here last night. The building was covered with Cheetos and uh, all sorts of other foul-smelling children, and it's just... We're glad it all got cleaned in, in the inappropriate manner. So welcome. Glad to have you. But, but God's doing really some amazing things. Obviously, tonight uh, is the night. We're going to be rallying in Seattle at 6 p.m. Doors open at 5.30. Pre-service prayer starts at 4.30. And uh, we're believing God for just really a weekend of encounter and uh, outpouring. I think that there are moments in the life of a church that function as tipping points. Will God accomplish everything he's ever going to accomplish in Seattle tonight? No. But tonight is a tipping point for this church, and I believe a tipping point for this region. I want you to be a part of it. It's really going to be incredible. I think the youth are charting some buses from here at, at, at 430. So there's going to be hundreds of youth down there already. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's going to be a zoo in Seattle tonight. If you thought parking was bad in Snohomish, just wait. Just wait. Uh, but tonight is the night. Of course, we're releasing all the new merch and, and books and all sorts of things. And, and I, I hope you'll consider joining us. We are filled with anticipation for, uh, for what God is going to do. Uh, this has been two years in the making. Two years of prayer and strategy and structure and just really believing for uh, God's best. Praying, listening to the leading and the directing uh, of the Holy Spirit and I feel like God is inviting this church into the next season of faithfulness by which he's really giving us a mandate to see not just awakening here in Snohomish, but to see revival in the region. <clears throat> and we're just operating with this simple mindset. And, and, and it, it, seems, it seems so simple that it's hard to believe it's even true. But if God can do it in Snohomish, he can do it in Seattle. It's not just that God isn't a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of places. Anywhere that he finds people who are willing to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, those are prayers that he responds to. And I'm so struck by out of all of the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. They were able to identify in the life of Jesus that that was his hidden strength, that he would often go to the mountain to pray and to be with the Father. And the disciples, based on their observational discipleship, pull Jesus aside and they say, teach us that, that hidden strength, teach us that. And Jesus gives them the secret key. He says, this is the prayer. This is what to pray. Here's the magic formula. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so that's what we're praying for the region and uh, we're believing God really for some incredible things. So please join us tonight if you can. And uh, we're gonna have a great time, a great time uh, in Seattle. This morning, I'm gonna share with you uh, really what I believe to be a prophetic sermon out of the book of Joshua in chapter 3 that I think best helps encapsulate where, where we're at as a church and uh, where God is taking us uh, as a community. It's important that we have language from the Bible to help us understand our responsibility as people. We want to be a Bible-centric church anchored in the wind but flowing in the Spirit. And I believe that Joshua 3 helps give us a contextual outline for this moment that we're in. And in doing so, I'm going to challenge you this morning to raise your faith 
to enlarge your perspective, to dream a God-sized dream for what he could do in and through your life. I feel like so many Christians live under the bondage of small thinking and small dreaming. And I don't want you to reach the end of your life and wonder, what if I just stepped out for God? What if I just believed him at his word? What if I just uh, walked in the triad anointing? What if? I want you to see God do some incredible things in and through your life. In Joshua 3, the Bible is recording uh, a story that has been 40 years in the making. The Hebrew children have wandered in the wilderness. Moses has taken them out of Egyptian bondage, which they had been under for 400 years. And three million of them he leads in the desert, in the wilderness, for 40 years looking for the promised land. I often refer to this 40-year time period as the world's worst camping trip. The Hebrew children are living based on God's provision. Manna raining down from heaven. Water coming out of the rock. Provision supernaturally appearing. And Moses deals with all sorts of things in the wilderness. The people turn against him and worship a golden calf. They try to stage a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. At one point, God has to open the earth and swallow people up because of their hard-heartedness towards the things of God. This is where Moses receives the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets. This is where they carry the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. This is where they see God lead them by a fire and by a cloud. This is where they see miraculous provision. This is where God splits the sea and they walk right through it. These are the moments that we read about in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's a story that's 40 years in the making. About two weeks after they leave Egypt, the people are already complaining, take us back to bondage. We had better food selection in Egypt than we do out here. Take us back to bondage. It's not a mystery why Jesus in the New Testament asks people if they want to be made well, because the reality is most people don't. They prefer the comfort, the stability, or the commonality of bondage than they do the unchartered waters of freedom. Moses is leading this people, and he's led them for 40 years. But an entire generation, hear me, friend, an entire generation misses out on the promise of God because of grumbling and complaining. The Bible says an entire generation has to die off. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now Joshua will lead the people. And that's where this story picks up in Joshua 3. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate, entirely dedicate, prepare, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Maybe the greatest tragedy of the entire 40-year experience in the wilderness comes 12 months after they leave Egypt, when Moses sends 12 spies out to see the land of Canaan, and 10 come back with a bad report, and two come back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. Hear me, friend. Ten spies with a bad report kept three million people out of their destiny for 40 years. That's what fear can do to a nation. Paralyze it from moving into its destiny. Whose report are you going to believe? We're going to believe the report of the Lord. 
If I could recontextualize Joshua 3 and verse 5 for our church today, it would sound like this. Prepare yourself, for tonight the Lord will do wonders in your midst. Prepare yourself, for tonight you get to choose what report you're going to believe. Prepare yourself, for God will give us the land. Here's my request of this church. Let's set out a fleece in Seattle and see which God answers by fire. Ten spies said, look at the size of our problems. We're like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants. And two spies said, look at the size of our produce. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. Ten spies said, these people are giants. We can never overtake them. Two spies said, this land is too valuable for the enemy to have. Surely God would give it to his people. It's not that the other ten spies were lying about what they saw. There were, in fact, giants in the land. But they were over-informed by their fears and under-informed by their faith. It's not that they had the wrong facts. They just had the wrong focus. It's not just that I have to choose what I'm going to believe. I've got to choose what I'm going to set my mind on because my life moves in the direction of my strongest thought. It's no wonder Paul says in Philippians, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In Colossians 3, 1 through 2, he says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Ten spies with a bad report kept God's people out of their land for 40 years. Now, because God is faithful to his promises, he eventually led the people back to where they started. But this time, the one who would lead the nation is Joshua across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that God had promised their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you give in to the spirit of fear, it just causes a delay in the destiny that God has already secured on your behalf. God is faithful to his promises, but an entire generation had to die in fear in order for the next generation to live in faith. Ten spies with a bad report, with a wrong perspective. Yeah, there's a reason God sends you into giant's territory. And here's the reason. They got bigger stuff. What's the first thing that David does after killing Goliath? He steals Goliath's sword. Watch. It was a giant resource for a giant task. Seattle's got bigger giants with bigger resources, but when they fall, God's people get to inherit them. They've got bigger budgets and bigger buildings, bigger houses and bigger opportunities, bigger blessings and bigger resources, but it's gonna take bigger faith, bigger risk, bigger unity, and bigger vision. But the people of God are up to the task. Hear me, friend, the wilderness isn't a wasted season, it's a refining season. 
it teaches us dependence on God's provision. And without wilderness, you aren't prepared for promise. That's why the Bible says in Luke 4 and in verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament shadow. In the Old Testament, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. In the Old Testament, it was disobedience that kept them there 40 years. In the New Testament, it's obedience that keeps them there 40 days. And the Bible says Jesus was led by God's Spirit into the wilderness. But when he returned, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole country side. Your wilderness isn't a wasted season. It's a preparation for what God's about to do next. And that's why you can't lose your worship in the wilderness. And that's why you can't lose your peace and your hope and your joy in the midst of the wilderness. And that's why you can't lose your mind or lose your perspective in the midst of the wilderness. Because God's not punishing you in the desert. He's preparing you in the desert for that thing which you're about to inherit. And it's your wilderness season that causes you to properly value the answer that's coming. Why do you think that we ought to contend for things in prayer and in faith? Why do you think that there are some prayers that are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the making? Why do you think that there are some things that take generations to catch up with? Because when it finally arrives, you value it as the pearl of great price. No, it's not common. Somebody laid down their life to pray a prayer for this thing. No, somebody been praying on their hands and knees. No, there's been some hidden intercessors. Man, there's been some secret prayer meetings. There's been some unnamed heroes of the faith who have given their lives to pray and contend for the things that we're about to walk into tonight. No, that's why we value it the way that we do, because there is a generational lineage of people who have contended for now what we're going to receive. The wilderness isn't a waste. It's a setup for what's next. Now watch. And Joshua said to the priest, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and they went before. Now you know the ark carried the presence and the people carried the ark. And before the Hebrew children could cross over into their promise, the presence went before them. And friend, if his presence hasn't gone before you, it ain't worth going. The goal wasn't so much a promised land as it was a promised presence. Who cares how many cities we take if we don't have the presence? Who cares how many campuses we have if we don't have the presence? Friend, you carry something of significance inside of you for this region. Your participation matters. Your attendance matters. Your contribution matters. Because I am convinced something of value lives inside of you. You're a carrier of the presence of God. In the Old Testament, it was only the Levites who could carry the presence. Because they were priests before God. But in the New Testament, because of the blood of Jesus, you and I are now priests and kings before God. And we carry the presence wherever we go. Which means this, there's no place that we're about to go that he hasn't already been. It's his presence that prepares a table for us in front of our enemies. It gives us peace in the midst of chaos. It gives us clarity in the midst of confusion. And this was the cry of Moses well before he ever stepped foot in the the desert. If your presence doesn't lead us, we won't go.
And that has been our prayer and, and our cry. God, we don't want success in the world's eyes and failure in yours. We're not going to go without your presence. And when God finds a people who are willing to make that line in the sand their ultimatum, those are folks that he abides with day in and day out. What the promised land represented was simply a new place to host an old promise that the presence would go with us wherever we go. In the Old Testament, the priest carried the presence, but in the New Testament, the presence carries us. In the Old Testament, man built a wooden box to contain the presence. But in the New Testament, God sent his one and only son to die on a wooden cross that the presence may live inside of us. In the Old Testament, the presence of God is what would kill you if you had sin in your life. But in the New Testament, the presence of God is what purifies you when you've got sin in your life. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I love what Luke records in the book of Acts. Talking about the disciples, Peter and John, he says, when they saw the courage, the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note, watch, that these men had been with Jesus. Come on, friend, when you're with Jesus, you don't have to carry a sign that says, I've been in the presence. When you're with Jesus, you don't have to announce it on a microphone in front of a stage. When you've been with Jesus, you don't need a megaphone outside of a sporting event. When you've been with Jesus, people just know. And the Bible says, when the crowd saw the courage of Peter and John. Let me tell you, friend, it's being in the presence of God, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, bowing your knee to the name which is above every other name that gives you the courage to stand before any man and overcome any obstacle. It's men and women who have been baptized in the presence of the Almighty that God places courage like a cloak on their life to stand and after they've done everything to stand, to continue to stand. I'm telling you this morning, God is placing courage like a coat on your life because you've been in the presence and it's gonna take courage to stand where we're going. Yeah, we got bigger giants and we'll have bigger problems and greater obstacles, but the anointing overcomes every argument. When the crowd saw their courage, they thought to themselves, these men have been with Jesus. In Joshua 1, the Bible says this, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself. For within three days, you're gonna cross over this Jordan River to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Hear me, friend, God may have given it to you, but it's your job to possess it. A promise that goes unpossessed by God's people leaves room for the enemy to inhabit the land that rightfully belongs to you. 
It's one thing to get a word from the Lord. It's another thing to contend for that word. Possessing land looks like a stubborn refusal to give up in the midst of hardship and in the midst of challenges. And I love how the Jordan River even becomes significant in the life of Jesus and John the Baptist. Thousands of years prior, God's people would cross through it. And in the Synoptic Gospels, it records that Jesus is baptized into it. I want you to see something. God can't use it until you cross through it. God can't use my pain until I'm willing to submit my pain. God can't use my trauma until I'm willing to submit my trauma. God can't use my past until I'm willing to is not just a promised land, but a testimony of a good God who saw you through every dark night of your soul. And as soon as you get through it, watch how God's gonna use it. That's why the Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The apostle John says that in the book of Revelation. Because once I get through my season of troubled waters, watch how God will use that to prophesy into the life of somebody else. You're a living, walking miracle this morning. You survived. Not only did you survive, but you thrived. The enemy should have taken you out when he had a chance, but somehow by the grace of God, you're here this morning. And that becomes the greatest testimony of your life. When a thousand fell at my left and 10,000 at my right, it didn't come near me. Somehow, some way, God has preserved my life and he made a way where there seemed to be no way. And when the Jordan River was gonna overtake me, God split the sea and I walked right through it. And now I see God baptizing my testimony in such a way that it becomes useful for the life of somebody else. That's why you got to keep going. You can't give up on your journey. You can't give up on your faith. You can't give up on your story. Because as soon as you turn the page into the next chapter of God's faithfulness, God says, I'm not going to waste one moment of your trial. Let me now use it to bless the life of somebody else. The book of Joshua, just in the book of Joshua, it records 31 different cities, 31 different cities that the Hebrew children had to conquer in order to possess the land. I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the three million who's been looking for the promised land for 40 years, once I cross the Jordan River, I just wanna go into cruise control. I wanna shift into spiritual neutral. It's taken all of my energy and strength just to get to this moment. Now, God, let me coast. But I've got good news for you, friend. When you reach the end of your rope, you're going to tie a knot and hang on because his grace is sufficient for you and his mercy is new every morning. And I know some of you have felt like I just had to fight with all of my fight just to survive this last year. But I'm telling you, you're not gonna live in survival mode, you're gonna live in thriving mode, and God's got new territory for this church to take. 31 battles, 31 conflicts. Jericho was the first of many, but 31 different decisions. Will we possess the land that God has given us? And friend, for you and me, as we contend for the words that God has spoken over our lives, we recognize 
that once we receive it, it's what we do with what we receive that best honors the giver who loves to give in accordance with his nature. In Joshua 4, Joshua gives maybe the most unique instruction to God's people thus far. The old timers remember when God split the Red Sea. But the youngins who've been born in the wilderness, they've never seen a God like this until now. And Joshua tells the priest, grab the ark because the Levites, they're going first. Those who carry the presents, they're going first. And watch what happened. I can just imagine Joshua gathering all them kids who've been born in the wilderness. They heard the stories from grandma and grandpa how God split the Red Sea. They've heard the stories of revival and reformation. They've read the history books of what God's done, but they've never seen it themselves. And I just see Joshua gathering the children of Israel and he's saying, come real close, peer in with interest because watch what the God of our forefathers is about to do again. And then Joshua rallies the people. And then Joshua rallies the people. He says, I want a man from every tribe, 12 tribes. And he says, as you walk through the Jordan River, I want every tribe to grab a stone and put it on their shoulder. I want you to grab it from the bottom of that dry riverbed when God splits the sea. And I want you to take that brick. I want you to take that stone. I want you to take that rock. And I want you to carry it into the promised land. And I want you to build an altar that will serve as a memorial for every generation. That when your children's children pass this way, they're going to ask you, what do these stones represent? And you're going to tell them about the God who answers from heaven. And can I tell you, we are in that moment as a church. Come on, Reuben. Come on, Levi. Come on, Dan. Come on, Gad. Come on, Judah and Issachar and Simeon and Joseph and Asher and Benjamin. Grab your stone. Because in 50 years, you're going to tell your kids about the time where the Northwest reawakened, where God by His Spirit did it again, where He split the waters one more time, where He poured out fire one more time, where He began to breathe on His church one more time. I know we saw it in the past, but by God's Spirit, we're going to see it again, and we're going to have a story for our children's children. This is where God met us. This is when God gave us the land. Come on, Fred. Tonight, we cross over. God has given us the Northwest as our inheritance. Now, let's possess the land. Come on, if you're not already, would you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you in the Lord. Father, now by your Spirit, we cast out the spirit of fear. Instead, give us power, love, and a sound mind. God, may your courage cloak us from on high. Steady our feet. Position our heart. Quiet our mind. For tonight, the Lord will do wonders in our midst. 
We say, God, for our inheritance, give us the prodigal. Give us the backslidden. Give us the diseased and the oppressed. Give us those who are in bondage because this is the year of the favor of our God and by his spirit, he's anointed us to preach good news. And so we say, God, do your best work in this region. Open the windows of heaven and pour out your spirit in such a way that we can't even contain it. And we declare over this region, out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. We say, God, by your spirit, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. We'll give you all the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Fred, if you're here and you need breakthrough in your life, there's an anointing in the house to break bondage, to break the yoke of heaviness. Some of you have been under even what I feel like to be a demonic assignment of discouragement against your life. And today is a day of breakthrough. If you need prayer for any reason before you leave, we'd invite you to come forward and we're gonna add our faith to yours here in this altar environment. We're gonna see God do something incredible in your life. If not, God bless. Thanks so much for joining us. We're gonna be in Seattle tonight, 6 p.m. Doors open, 5.30. Pre-service prayer, 4.30. Come on, let's take the region for Jesus. God bless. We'll see you real soon.